It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Welcome to another edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmelk with you as the start, we hope, of the 2020 NFL season gets closer and closer. It's time to start previewing what we might expect from the Giants this year. And one guy that joins us every year is Warren Sharp, who just released his football preview for 2020. Warren thanks for being with us John Schmelk here in New Jersey hope you and your family everybody in your world is safe and healthy well we're doing well you're right that's the most important thing and uh definitely happy to join you guys looking forward to breaking down you know your team as they head into the 2020 season well first of all why don't you tell the folks where they can find your book I love it every year um it's it's very colorful it has good graphs and charts so it's easy to read it's not a ton of text um it's great for fantasy football I think it's great for just kind of figuring out what's in front for every team. So tell the folks uh, where they can find it and why they should buy it. Yeah, it's uh, it's up on sharpfootballanalysis.com, and it's a product of three and a half months of my research and labor into trying to figure out why these teams didn't reach their goals of 2019 and what they need to do differently to have a successful 2020 campaign. And I break down and share a lot of nuggets that you probably don't know about your team um, and I walked through all 32 teams in the same exact manner showcasing things that went wrong last year and what's changed over the course of the last several months during the offseason process and why things might look different this year and I also give a lot of suggestions to the coaching staff uh, because I have some work with I do a lot of work with certain teams um, and so I just tended to go through all 32 and say here's a, a few suggestions for each one of these teams uh, and I'm sure we're going to dive into that in a minute. Yeah, we are. And let's start Saquon Barkley because, as, as you put um, in your story, and, and everyone pretty much knows, you know, Saquon Barkley is the centerpiece of the Giants' offense. If you're going to pick a running back in the top five, he's going to be a guy that has the ball in his hands an awful lot. But based on what you saw last year in terms of how they used them specifically in personnel, which dictates what defenses do, you think they can try to utilize him to get more out of him in the running game? Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a several things that are very key in which they need to fix. I think you guys are probably, with Jason Garrett now taking over, probably going to be a little bit more run-heavy. That is my guess. Um, he was obviously more run-heavy down in Dallas. And with a younger quarterback, I think he's going to look to rely a little bit more on the run. So it's important that you have success when you are running the football, especially on early downs. I go into it in the book, but you guys – should have, but for that Arizona Cardinals game where you minus three in turnover margin, should have been four wins to only one loss when you won the early down success rate battle, but you went one and ten when you lost it. So winning that early down success rate battle, um, as you did last year in five games, it's going to be vital, which means you can't be inefficient when you're running the football on early downs. And the biggest problem as it related to Saquon Barkley last year was when he was running the ball, particularly on first down, into loaded boxes where he was much worse than the NFL average. He averaged minus 0.11 expected points per attempt, gained only 2.7 yards per carry with a 27% success rate when he ran the ball on these first downs into loaded boxes. So you've got to figure out how are we going to get him to be able to run the ball against boxes that aren't loaded. Well, the only way you were able to do that last year is to spread out the defense, use three-plus wide receiver sets, and you get the defense spread out and you get a lighter look. But the problem with what you were doing last year is 
when you got those lighter looks, you were still running the foot. You were sorry. You were still throwing the football into those lighter looks. And when the defense was loading the box, you had a very high run rate into those loaded boxes. So my opinion, what you can change this year is you can give Daniel Jones a little bit more command at the line of scrimmage. Get the defense to put a lighter box in there by throwing out more wide receivers and then allowing him to check out of that run pl- uh, pass play into a run play. That's the type of thing that you're going to need to get Daniel Jones to have an influence over the run game by some late decisions at the line of scrimmage. And that's really going to give you guys a much higher ceiling on these run plays. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's take this little by little here. So last year, the Giants used 11 personnel, I think, top three in the league in terms of percentage of plays, right? It was their most frequent personnel group. But I guess your point, and I didn't look at it this way broken down, even though they used 11 personnel a lot, they were very predictable in the type of plays they ran at a different personnel group. So when they ran, when they had bigger personnel on the field, they ran it too often. When they had smaller personnel groups, they passed it too often. So while they did spread the field often with 11, they didn't run enough out of those sets, and they were too predictable with run at a big personnel and pass at a small personnel. Exactly. That's definitely a problem. And the other problem was, particularly on early downs, because truthfully, and you know this, John, but the times that you want to be running the football are in short yarded situation and inside the red zone. Those are the times when the run game provides the most dividends. The times that the run game provides the least dividends is when you're passing, sorry, when you're running the ball on early downs, particularly first down. Yep. Um, the more often you want to be passing the ball there. But I think that with Jason Garrett's influence, you're probably going to be running the ball more. So it's important just to use your personnel to figure out how many defenders are in the box and what the defense is doing there, and then just ensure that if you are getting a nice look and if you are getting a lighter box, that you can check to a run play. Saquon Barkley dominates in those situations, but really struggles if the defense has a loaded box there. Well, and it makes sense, right? He's not a guy that's going to lower his sh- He can. He's physically capable. But he's not a guy that wants to, you know, do the Ezekiel Elliott lower his shoulder and grind out two yards after contact. He's going to want to get in space and, and make people miss, right? So it makes sense that if you can come out in 11 and give Daniel Jones some freedom, you get him the ball in space. It's, you know, a bit of a cliche, but I think in Barkley's case specifically, Warren, it makes sense. You get him the ball in space more, the field spread out more, he's going to be a better player. And to the point you made before, running on early downs, you're not going to gain a lot of yards. But he's such an explosive player, he can make more big running plays than others, especially if you get him the ball in more space. Yeah, and let me liken it back to uh, 2018, the team that won the Super Bowl that year. You know, your, your nemesis, you guys knocked them off a couple times, but the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl in 2018. They had a top 10 rushing offense in terms of efficiency, but re- the reality was where they were good, they were like top two when they ran the ball against six men boxes or fewer. But when they ran the ball against seven, which is the average, you know, three sure. down linemen, four linebackers, or, or vice versa, against seven-man boxes or eight-man boxes, they were average to below average when running the ball in both of those situations. But what Tom Brady was able to do is ensure, like, check out of run plays when they were facing heavier boxes and run more often into the plays where they were facing lighter boxes. And so, you know, if you look at Barkley, when he's even facing seven-man boxes, which is the average, he, last year on first downs, 
the average, the NFL average was 4.7 yards per carry against a seven-man box. He averaged only 3.3. The average was that you lost minus 0.2 expected points. He lost minus 0.15. So, you know, seven times the NFL average in terms of expected points lost um, on those types of run plays. So you really just got to ensure that you're checking out of runs that don't have good looks on first down and running into looks that do have good looks. You know, it's funny, Warren, we actually talked about this a little bit on our radio broadcast last year where you could actually see a bit of a difference that Eli Manning was in there. And just, and again, I didn't look at the, you know, they don't track audibles and changes in the line of scrimmage, but it seemed like Manning was able to, probably because of experience, he's given more freedom as you know the quarterback, to make some more of those changes to the line of scrimmage. You have to figure in a second year, after getting 12 games of experience as a rookie, you can start giving Daniel Jones some more leeway in making those types of changes. Absolutely. I think they definitely can. Um, the trick is this off season, you're not getting as much practice doing that type yep. of thing, but there's no doubt about it. They need to be drilling, you know, remotely and he needs to be practicing and doing the mental reps that it takes in order to be able to do that. And I think they definitely can put more on his plate this year. Before I get to Jones on first downs, because I think there's some interesting nuggets in there too. Can you explain why production on early downs is so important? Because I think the perception is that, you know, third down play is very important and it is, we're not saying it's not, but why is first down production so important for the overall success of NFL offenses in the modern era? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Not enough people talk about it, but it's something that I started tracking several years ago and has hold, held true every single one of the years since. Um, and that is that early down efficiency to bypass third downs entirely is such a massive predictor of success. Um, far too often, too many people prior to when I started doing this were just looking at, okay, what's the average of this team? overall like what is what is their overall efficiency what are they what are they doing as an offense every single down you know and what i started doing is segregating out and segmenting out early downs versus third downs and what are you doing on first down versus second down and you know getting a little bit more granular in that analysis because third down is just such a key leverage down typically you know for the casual fan you'll start to realize this most of the time when a team gets set up with a third and four or third and seven, whatever the yardage is, right, that offensive coordinator is taking a little bit more time to get a good play in. The defense then ha- has the time because the offense is substituting the right personnel out there. The defense has a chance to get their good personnel out onto the field. And most often when you don't convert that third down because the defense has their best personnel to stop this down a distance, uh, when you don't convert that situation, you're punting the ball or you're kicking a field goal. You know, not you're not continuing your drive. And so the key is you want to end every single drive with a touchdown. And so failing to do so is technically a loss. And you can't be having these losses. And so it gets back to how efficient are you on first down? Can you get enough yards so that you can potentially bypass that third down? So the aggressiveness on early downs, especially at the beginning of a game, is something that plays strongly into your ability to win that game. And truth be told, not enough coaches even focus on that type of early down aggressiveness at the start of the game. Yeah, and coordinators will also save their best defensive schemes. You know, they'll come up with a couple creative blitzes each game, a couple of, you know, disguise zones, and that's what they'll bring out on third downs, right? On first down, you'll get much more generic, you know, type of stuff. And I think... This is why when you look at Daniel Jones's numbers last year, and I just did this huge study of, of his uh, numbers, Warren, based on situation through a lot of the stuff they have over at PFF. You know, they do a great job with it too. And his first down passing numbers 
were not great. And that should be something that's a little bit easier for a quarterback. His play action from under center, which more often than not is going to happen, what, on first down, right? Because your big personnel play action under center, try to throw on first down. He did not excel in that area. Yet, on third down, he was actually a little bit more productive. So I wonder how they try to leverage where Jones' strengths are at least based on a rookie year. Now, maybe that's a small sample size deal and it'll change because I thought his production, I think, was very interesting in terms of where he excelled at his rookie as a rookie and where he didn't, which in a lot of ways I think is different based on how you perceive where a quarterback should be good at certain things during a game. Yeah, and one of the things I write about, I agree 100% on all of that, and one of the things that I write about in the Giants chapter of this book uh, is that the Giants were barely better with under center play action than when they didn't use any at all. But where they were really good at with Jones was passing the football from shotgun play action. And and that's where, in shotgun play action, the yards per attempt was almost 11 yards per attempt. Your success rate was really high. EPA was through the roof. Um, and so I think they need to use a little bit more. You know, typically you will get a, a defense to bite more when you think it's going to be under center play action because, you know, the drop back looks a lot more like a run play sure. but the reality is anytime you're sticking the ball you, you have to do things that the quarterback is the best at doing um and so your preconceived idea that okay we're gonna drop back and use play action if the quarterback doesn't excel throwing the football after facing his you know running back and turning his back to the defense if that's not a strength of his which with some quarterbacks it is and some it's not clearly what the numbers bear out is that it was not a strength with Daniel Jones last year but what was still very productive and what did gain a much better edge over a typical shotgun uh, drop back is when he would do a play action shotgun drop back where he would stick the ball and the linebackers are still going to think oh my god we we were keyed all week that we've got to slow down and stop Saquon Barkley as best possible. So even if it's a shotgun play action, they're still respecting that. And Daniel Jones did much better without turning his back to the defense. So uh, that's something that I think they might want to work a little bit more on as well. And I detail that in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Jones last year on shotgun play action passes, Warren, top rated quarterback in the league. Under center, I think he was the second worst. So you're right. I think turning your back on the defense is, is kind of the big mechanical difference there. And I think it's a it's real interesting. And, you know, that's something these college players don't do a lot. They don't run a lot of play action from under center in college anymore. You know, so many guys are in gun all the time. So I think it's something that these quarterbacks kind of have to, you know, get used to in the pros. Um, Jones's aggressiveness. But I think this is interesting because I found the same thing when I studied him. You know, you kind of qualify aggressiveness in two different ways. And, and, and I did likewise where – I think he could do to maybe try to throw the ball down the field a little bit and take a few more deep shots and be a little more accurate with those deep shots. But he is very aggressive in in the form that he is not afraid to throw the ball in the coverage. And he will try to squeeze that ball in the tight spots. And it turns into a lot of really impressive throws and big plays. But that's probably also why he had some issues with turnovers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he ranked as one of the most aggressive quarterbacks in terms of throwing the ball into tight windows um, and passes that have a very low expected completion percentage when you're throwing into these tight windows, despite the fact that his average depth of target was not all that deep. So, you know, that's a big problem, in my opinion. It means that his wide receivers, it means two things. Either the wide receivers weren't getting enough separation or the route combinations and the predictability of the pass game. The defense knew that passes were coming on these downs, and the route combinations weren't very deceptive. 
And so I think a new coordinator calling and designing some of these plays would definitely benefit them. Um, you can't, it's fine with being aggressive and throwing the ball into tight windows when the payoff is worth doing so, you know, when the, when the reward is worth that risk. But, you know, most of the good offensive coordinators out there are making life very easy on the quarterbacks by getting easier completions, especially on those that are underneath throws, having guys that are a little bit more open who can gain yards after the catch, as opposed to trying to fit the ball into all of these tight windows on these underneath and intermediate throws. So I definitely think that there needs to be a lot of improvement from that perspective. So I'm hopeful that through whether it's decision-making from the quarterback himself and what Jones decide where he decides to put the ball or it's the scheming up and the you know the deception of the passing offense you know between both of those things I think that there's going to be better expectations for what we can get out of the passing game this year yeah it's all about him making more prudent decisions right understanding what the potential reward is based on the risk on, on a certain play and sometimes Warren it's okay to to punt the ball I mean that that's okay and and, and sometimes it's a better result than trying to fit the ball into this small window or holding it an extra second or two in the pocket, which turns into a turnover. So I think that's something a young quarterback, at least in my experience, I'd like to get your opinion, can learn, is understanding how to be more prudent and what risks are worth it when you're making those decisions on the field. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I think you can definitely learn that. That's a trained attribute that you can improve. Um, you know, there's certain things that I believe some quarterbacks can't improve on that decision making is definitely something that quarterbacks can improve on some guys don't right like you look at a guy like Jameis Winston sure maybe it was his eyesight who knows but um, (laughs) you know Jameis Winston hasn't really developed that and gotten better at it whereas other quarterbacks have been able to do that and you know you're obviously optimistic that Daniel Jones will be able to do that and he's I mean look he's still a baby as, as it comes to the NFL and these are the best times to train those proper uh, ways to read the defense and look at different um, you know progressions and try to figure out when to go from one to two to three and where to look on the field and what plays you know I think a new new slate of plays to call uh, and and operate under will definitely benefit him as well so I think it's a I think the sky is you know, the ceiling is still high enough for Daniel Jones to develop into things. We haven't seen where he's going to be. Uh, judging him based on what he did last year, I think, would be a mistake. I definitely think that there's a lot of room for growth here. And, you know, it's not always linear either. There might be another step back before he takes a step forward, and I think that's something that you kind of – that's why you have to be patient with quarterbacks. They're not always just going to, you know, get better year over year. The receiving core. This is a thing that we've talked a lot about, Warren, on our shows here on Giants.com. And, you know, fans get concerned because they don't have that, you know, that 1A Julio Jones-type wide receiver. But my argument has been that all three of these receivers, you know, Tate and Shepard are more veterans, Slayton a rookie, then you got Ingram at tight end. You know, they're all good players. They can all create separation. They can all get open. What's your view on, you know, the weapons that Jones has to target through the air? Well, I mean, it's ironic you use the term separation, and yet that's what he was throwing into all these tight windows last season. So these guys do have the skill sets to get open. Now it's a matter of Jones finding the best guy to throw the ball to, but also the route combinations and the way the offense is called and this, uh, you know, a little bit of deception, I keep saying, but that's what the offense needs to create a little bit more of where the defense doesn't know that it's definitely going to be a pass here. And when the defense doesn't know, then you're going to get some better looks. But 
the one key for me, at least uh, from your receiving core, that I think is is worth focusing on is Evan Ingram and the fact that you know after he was so productive in 2018, he definitely fell off a lot last season. And we've got to figure out a way. A tight end is one of the biggest. Uh, you know, if you play chess at all, like the queens on the chessboard, you could do so much. You can move him so many different spots. He's one of the quarterback's best friends because of the mismatches that he can create. And yet last season, the efficiency to Evan Ingram was really poor. You know, Warren, Warren, I I want to interrupt you one second because I want you to get deeper into that because fans are probably confused. They're like, wait a second. He played eight games. If you, you know, take his stats and put him into 16 games, he caught 90 balls. That That's a career high for him. So why do you think, and it just explain why you don't think he was efficient offensively last year. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what he did um, after he, like in the 2018 season, uh, he had nine yards per attempt, and he averaged .26 expected points per attempt. Now, expected points, for the fans that aren't familiar with the term, it's an advanced metric. It looks at, you know, how many more points are you gaining from moving closer to the opposing end zone uh, through this play, like from the beginning of the play to the end of the play, how much closer do you get to the end zone? Um, And... 0.26, but last season he was just down at 0.07, so almost a quarter of the efficiency from an expected points production standpoint. His yards per attempt dropped from 9 down to 6.8. His success rate was only at a 41% success rate, so when you're looking at volume-based statistics, which is like total catches and total yards and total touchdowns, that's the wrong way to look at football. Throw out the total volume type statistics and look more so at the efficiency and per play based statistics. And when you do so, Evan Ingram's production last year was much worse than what it was in 2018. And that's why I say they need to do a better job of getting Evan Ingram to produce better in 2020 than he did in 2019 and enhance that efficiency. His average target of depth last year was only 6.1 yards down the field. So these are not very difficult, deep passes, um, and you need to have a much higher efficiency if you're throwing the ball underneath more to a tight end who should be able to get opened easier and who should have better mismatches against whatever defender they throw at him. And it's not as if Evan Ingram is over-the-hill older tight end or he's more so a blocking tight end. You know, this is a elite athlete who is a perfect receiving weapon for you and a great mismatch against whoever you put on him. You need to get a lot more efficiency out of him. I think Jason Garrett, with his experience in working with tight ends and quarterbacks, should be able to design some things that are going to allow Evan Ingram assuming he stays healthy, a much higher ceiling in 2020. I love what you do, Warren, in terms of breaking down strength of schedule. So let's start with the offense first. You know, the Giants offense is going into this year. As you said, new coach, new offensive coordinator, no offseason. <laughs> they haven't even been on the field yet together as a team, and they roll out of the gates. They got to take on four of the best pass defenses in the league last year, the Steelers, the Rams, the Niners, uh, the Bears, the front of the schedule is real tough. Is that something that, in your opinion, is consistent throughout the year? What is this Giants offense going to have to deal with from an opponent perspective um, that could dictate how they have to play some of these games? Yeah, they have a very difficult – I mean, their overall difficulty in terms of the passing defenses that they're going to face moved from – they had the 19th toughest schedule last year, so a little bit below average, but right around average – 
up to the 10th toughest this year. So they're a top 10 schedule in terms of difficulty of past defenses. So even more of a reason why you're going to need um, this offense to be efficient when they are passing the football and make life a little bit easier on Daniel Jones. But no, we're probably going to see the worst of it to start the year. I mean, there might be some aches and growing pains early on where there's frustration about Jason Garrett because this first month of the season, you're exactly right. They're facing four top 10 pass defenses. It's one of the toughest schedules in the NFL out the gates for the first four weeks of the year. But after that, things definitely get a lot easier. You get a game against the, you get three straight division games and all those teams had average to below average pass defenses uh, last season. And I think your schedule opens up a little bit so that, so that, you know, if you are playing fantasy, for example, and things look dire early on for this passing attack, and perhaps a guy like Evan Ingram or one of the other weapons is not doing very well on another team, this is, might be a time that you want to trade for that player because I think after that first month of the season, this passing offense, especially with the lack of the offseason and the lack of the ability to work together, they'll develop more chemistry throughout practice and heading into these games. They won't look as great during those games, but once the schedule lightens up, I think there's a chance for the passing offense to look a lot better starting in October. On the other hand, you think Saquon Barkley might have some more opportunities to concede this year based on what he faced last year in terms of defenses. Yeah, I do. I think that there's more opportunities. You know, the rushing attack uh, in terms of the run defenses does get a little bit easier for him. Um, you know, we look at the, his overall numbers, and we talked about, you know, you look at his totals, his volume-based statistics, but even his efficiency wasn't quite – on par with what a lot of fans maybe were hoping for out of such a high, highly drafted player. But you guys did face the fourth toughest schedule of run defenses. So we all have to, we, we want a running back to produce, but there's only so much you can ask. I mean, passes are more efficient than runs to begin with. Uh, so when you're running in poor situations like they were doing and you're doing it against the top five schedule of run defenses, it's going to be hard to be ultra impressive. You do get a little bit easier schedule of run defenses. It's not overly easy. It's still a top-10 schedule in terms of forecasted run defenses that you're going to face this year. One aspect of it that gets a lot easier is the explosive run defenses. Last season, you played defenses that ranked 7th best in terms of allowing explosive runs. These are runs that gain over 10 yards. But in 2020, you faced the 20th toughest schedule. So you move from number 7 to number 20, so from above average to below average defenses from that perspective so maybe Saquon is able to get going a little bit we know how dangerous he is when he gets into the open field so that's definitely a positive for him all right how about the Giants defense uh let's move on to them and we'll start the schedule since that's what we're talking about what do you foresee for them in terms of some of the particular challenges they're going to face from opposing offenses on the 2020 schedule well last season they faced the 23rd so the 10th easiest schedule of opposing offenses this year i have them facing the 15th toughest schedule so right around average slightly above average schedule so the caliber of opposing offenses definitely is going to improve um and that's even without taking into consideration you know like you're taking on the tampa bay buccaneers for example um who have a better offense than they did last year or the arizona cardinals whose offense i think is going to be better this year than last year and a couple of those situations like the opponents that you're going to be facing um the timing isn't necessarily ideal 
for example, we're talking about new quarterbacks, slightly improved offenses because they're adding new parts, new coaches. Um, you're playing several of these teams later in the season. So if you look back, if you yep. look at where when you're going to play the Bucks, you play them week eight, so you don't get to deal with them early. When you play the Bengals with a rookie quarterback, you don't play them until week 12, so they've had time to gel. The Cardinals is week 14. The Cleveland Browns, who have a new coach and a new system, you don't get to play them until week 15. So all of these teams have had a chance to get their offenses on track a little bit more, um, even like the Washington Redskins, who you're taking on twice, of course. Uh, you don't get to play them the first game until week six. So new coaches, new coordinators working with these guys. Uh, the only real bright spot would be week two. You get to take on the Chicago Bears. Uh, they potentially might have a new quarterback in terms of Nick Bowles over Mitch Trubisky. But um, other than that, I don't love when you're playing these guys, and the overall schedule does become a little bit more difficult. Yeah, you mentioned only in the year, the first four opponents were, we talked about their defenses already, but the offenses, they all return their head coach and offensive coordinator. So, you know, those guys are not learning a new system. You mentioned Foles in Chicago, but Goff returns, Garoppolo returns, Roethlisberger theoretically should be back, and those teams should, you know, be more ready to go than others. Uh, that had to undergo a lot of these changes. When you look at the Giants' defense overall from their performance last year, Warren, and this is a point I've made uh, this year, if you look at last year in the NFL, generally speaking, and you look at the yards per pass play allowed, which I, to your point is a rate metric, right? And the bottom eight teams in the league in that category, none of them made the playoffs. I think five of the eight picked in like the top eight of the draft or something like that. You know, that to me is a number that if you want to be a playoff team or compete for a playoff spot, you got to get into that middle third of the league because really now nowadays, if you can't stop the pass, you can't win games in the NFL. No, absolutely, because when you have a lead in games, what's the opponent going to be doing? This is why some teams don't mind having a slightly worse run defense. Obviously, you want to be stacked everywhere, right, and have a perfect defense, number one, across the board. But if you have to be bad at something, you'd rather be bad against the run because if you can, if you can stop the pass and you can get a lead, then the other team becomes predictable. You know they're going to be passing the football, and your pass defense can have opportunities for sacks, which cause turnovers, can have opportunities for pressures, which cause interceptions. Um, so all these things are beneficial, and, uh, and especially when you make that offense a little bit more predictable, which modern teams, that's all they got really is, is, <laughs> is you cannot be predictable. If you're not predictable on offense, you're going to have the upper hand because all the rules are in your favor to have success over the defense. So the fact that the Giants last season had the second-worst pass defense uh, by DVOA, which is an efficiency metric, um, is, is very problematic, and they need to be able to improve their, their ability to pressure the quarterback, their ability to defend on obvious passing situations, because otherwise it's going to be very easy when a team, when, when, they get to, when the Giants get the lead, for that opposing offense to just throw the football because they need to throw the football, come down the field and score a point, some points, and then retake the lead over you guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Um, generally speaking, Warren, when, when, you, when you take a look at, at some of the trends that you've seen in the NFL, you know, the big one that you mentioned in the course of the Giants section of your book are the turnovers, and they trump everything, right? I mean, if you are negative two in turnover ratio, you've like a 15% chance of winning the game. It's, it, it, it's brutal. Is there anything you found that makes turnovers more predictive for certain teams? Is it very random? What has some of your research shown you in terms of trying to prevent 
turnovers and just do better in that overall turnover ratio battle that every team is trying to win every week? Well, you're right. A lot of times they're difficult. Um, some quarterbacks have tendencies to be worse at them than others, but a lot of times it is difficult to predict. But if you coach ball security in the run game and ball security from your quarterback in the pocket, which is another thing that, you know, you, if you, if you can improve the ball security in the pocket of the quarterback, uh, that's something that can be learned and improved. Um, and ball security for running back, as you guys know, with Tiki Barber in the past, like you can improve those types of things as well. So if you're able to improve it in the run game and the quarterback drop back game, then it really comes down to, um, obviously it's difficult. You're going to have tipped balls. You're going to have things like that that really skew things and, and make it difficult to be perfect with regard to interceptions. But it's having the right, it, it all snowballs, right? Like, being unpredictable so the defense doesn't definitely know that you're passing the ball here, and then making sure that you're passing into good windows where your receiver is most likely to get in, their defender's not around, or when you do pass it into tighter windows that you're throwing it accurately enough such that the defender is not prepared to intercept the pass there, you're going to be able to improve your turnover margin. So um, I do think that there's the – and, of course, avoiding these third and long situations where you're more likely to throw – an interception, um, which is, you know, some of the situations like with, with Daniel Jones, he actually on third down and less than nine yards, he didn't throw a single interception last year. But when he was in third and 10 and longer, he threw multiple interceptions. So trying to avoid these longer distance uh, third down situations, I think you can improve your ability to limit turnovers. And we see a number of quarterbacks who just are phenomenal with their touchdown interception ratios. Uh, it is something that the offense coordinator plays a big role in as well, uh, and that you have to just emphasize and coach and teach and and uh, and give your quarterback support so that he doesn't feel like he needs to be forcing the football, which tends to cause more turnovers. All right, Warren, final question. Just give me uh, your overall thoughts on, on the Giants. Have we missed anything uh, you think heading into this year? What some of the keys are going to be and, and things Giant fans should really keep an eye on that maybe we haven't mentioned so far as they head into 2020? No, I think we covered so much in this uh, podcast, John. I think that we need to ensure that the Giants and Daniel Jones and J.C. Garrett get enough time to work together. I think it can definitely improve some things offensively. If they get better offensively, it really will have an effect on the other side of the ball. I think it's sometimes people get lost and caught in a vacuum that, well, the defense has to the defense isn't good, so our our team's not going to be good, and we don't we didn't really do enough to improve on the defensive side of the football. That might be the case, but your offense, by showing a lot of improvement on that side of the football, can help the defense a ton. It can make the opposing offense a lot more predictable, which is what we need teams to do. Is We want the defenses to be facing more predictable offenses. So the offense for the Giants can help that defense, and I think there's enough that we shared on this show about things that the offense can do to really improve this year. And I think that there's a, there is room for optimism here with the moves that they can make and the decisions that they can make and the practice reps and mental reps that Daniel Jones can undergo if he's being taught the right way and the offense is being designed the right way to really make a difference and see a nice jump from year one to year two. And uh, you put their over-under at wins at around six and a half, Warren, if I'm not mistaken. So you think it is within a really realistic realm of possibility that, you know, and Giant fans, I think, would be relatively happy with this, that this team could inch a lot closer to that 8-8, eight eight, 500 mark this year if things go right for them. 
Yeah, I mean, look, they went, they won off four games last year, but they played seven games that were decided by one score, and they only won two of those seven. If if a couple things go better for them in terms of those uh, single score games, and you're seeing a lot more improvement and the quarterbacks moving along. I absolutely don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Uh, the NFC East is a difficult division. The Redskins have improved as well as you guys have, I think, with their coaching staff that's come in. So it is going to be a challenge in this division, but there's not many divisions that are cakewalks. Uh, you guys are <laughs> used to it, and I think that you're going to find that um, you're going to be very competitive this season as long as we can get Daniel Jones to make those steps and mature a little bit more. Uh, I think it's going to be a season that Giants fans, hopefully, you know, I don't think you're going to be. The, the two teams at the top of your division are clearly the cream of the crop, in my opinion. But there's these NFC East battles, as you know, are, are, are just dogfights most of the time. And there's no reason to think that we can't see double the wins that you guys had last year. Warren, great stuff. Tell the folks one more time where they can find your book and, and check out all your good work. Yeah, so pretty much all the things that we discussed on this show, I go into the same level of depth and then a lot more in this book. And so if you enjoyed this show, I highly suggest you go to sharpfootballanalysis.com and pick up my 2020 football preview. It's 100 pages longer than what the one we put out last season. This is over 360 pages of detailed analysis, color grids, color charts, tables, graphs. Everything is very easy for you to read, understand, digest and really learn about these teams and these coaches and their strategies and um, ideas that I have for them. I think you'll really get a lot out of it, whether you're just a football fan or you're looking to take advantage of this from a fantasy or betting perspective. Warren, awesome stuff, my friend. Always good to talk to you every year. Congratulations again on the book, and hopefully we will be enjoying a full 2020 football season over the next six months. I hope so too, John. Stay healthy. You too. That's Warren Sharp. Make sure you go check out the book. He does a great job. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, folks. I know um, it was more heavy with some of the numbers that you guys don't necessarily like, but I thought it gave a good preview. And uh, next week we'll have our annual general, not necessarily focus on the Giants, but general analytic discussion with our buddy George Shahruri from Pro Football Focus. And we could kind of talk about some of the findings they've had over the last year as they try to figure out exactly how NFL football works. Uh, for Warren Sharp, I'm John Schmelk. Thank you so much for being with us on this edition of the Giants Little Podcast. We will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one. Stay safe.